open up to the book of James chapter 1. James is towards the end of the Bible. If you know where 1 Peter is, we'll just go one book before that, and James would be, would be there. James chapter 1, verse 2 says the following. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face many trials, right, of many kinds. Kind of sounds like what Peter was, was telling us. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. In other words, there's a purpose, right, that your faith is being tested. It produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But, right, if any of you, or, or sorry, verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask who? You should ask who? You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. How beautiful is that? But, here's the but, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not receive or should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. How awesome is that? <laughs> Thank you, Father God. Thank you for this word. Thank you for what the Bible says. Thank you for what it teaches. And so I just pray a simple prayer, Father, that you confront us, that you challenge us, that you speak to us. Lord, that you can speak through me, and that you can touch each and every person's heart, Father God, that we can change our perspective, Lord Jesus, when it comes to your word, that we can be obedient to what your word says. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. You can take your seat. So I want to start this new series on the book of James. Um, and I want to give you uh, some context as to what is really going on so that you're not confused or you're not lost. Um, and so the book of James is a book that is filled with just so much wisdom. It's a book that challenges uh, the Christian believer. Um, we're not really sure who wrote the book of James, even though the person is named James. Um, there's tons of James, you know, tons of people called James in the Bible. Uh, but the majority of the people believe that uh, it was Jesus' half-brother, James, who wrote this Bible, or who wrote, who wrote this, this, this book, this letter. Uh, how many people knew that Jesus had half-brothers and sisters? Listen, if that's the first thing you learned today, and that's the only thing you take from this message, 
I'm okay with that because you'll learn something. And so Jesus had half brothers and he had half sisters and, and James was the oldest out of all and, 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 uh, and James was, was, in the beginning, he didn't really believe in Jesus. He, he, he wasn't a big fan of Jesus. Um, but as Jesus died and he resurrected, Jesus ended up uh, speaking to him and he, he, he talks to James and he ends up believing in him. And, and, he, and then James becomes like this leader in the church and he, he's, he's called a, a pillar within the church. And he's just really important. And so he grew up with Jesus, right? And so he echoes a lot within this book of what Jesus preaches on the Sermon on the Mount. And he echoes the book of, the book of Proverbs. And so it's just this book is filled with so much wisdom, Really, just so much wisdom that as, as I was trying to prepare this message, I, it, it's so hard to, to try to cover everything because there's just so many good things that you can get from this book. Even if it's just five, five chapters, I recommend you read it, honestly. You can see just within the first seven verses that we read, there's just so much going on. And he's, he's challenging you. He's challenging these, these Christians that he's writing to. In fact, it's kind of, it's kind of similar like, like the book of First and Second Peter. Because the audience that he's writing to is, is these Christians who are being persecuted. And they're literally running for their lives and they're being persecuted. And he's trying to encourage them. And just, just like Peter's trying to encourage these Christians. And so these people are scattered through, throughout different areas. And he's writing this letter to them. And he's getting really into their business. Because he wants them to live a life of faith, a life that follows Jesus. And so he challenges their faith to see whether their faith is really genuine or not. To see where they're at. That if they really talk the talk, that they should really walk the walk. And this, this, this letter isn't just to these Christians that he's writing. This letter is for all of us. And so you'll see how James begins to talk a lot about faith and faith. And faith. And so within the next four or five weeks, I want to really dive into this book. Um, and I have a couple of things that I want to talk about today. I titled my message Trials, Wisdom, and Faith. Trials, Wisdom, and Faith. And I want to talk about today, and I have three points. See, the first thing that I see is that there's a purpose for trials. There's a purpose for trials. The very thing that you're going through right now, the very problem in your life, the very trial that, that's happening right now in, in the season of your life, I want you to know that there's a purpose for the trials. Look at verse 2. Consider it pure joy... My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And we see this word trials occur many times, don't we? I preached about it in the last sermon series. And it's kind of funny how, how not only Peter talks about trials and he talks about having joy and rejoicing through the suffering or rejoicing through the trials. But James also talks about this as well. 
I don't think it's a coincidence that both of these authors talk about the same thing. How, how we are to expect trials in our lives. And so we shouldn't be surprised, right, when we're going through certain things. We shouldn't be surprised when certain things hit, hit our lives. We shouldn't be surprised when we face trials of many kinds, problems of many kinds, difficulties of many kinds, because James is telling us this. I find it interesting that both of them talk about this. And so... James says, you're going to face trials. He doesn't say, if you face trials. He says, whenever you face trials. Because if you face trials, it gives you an option. Whenever you face trials means that it's going to come, no matter what. God isn't going to ask you. He's not going to ask you for your permission. Hey, are you ready to face this trial? Hey, you ready? Be prepared. Tomorrow, 2 o'clock, is coming. He says, expect to face trials, right, of many kinds. Trials of different kinds. All types of things are going to come in your life. But I need you to expect the trial. And here's what I want you to understand. Is that it serves a purpose. The trial in your life the situation that you're dealing with, the problem that you're in serves a purpose. It's not because God is mad at you. It's not because God is punishing you. It's not because you deserve it or because you have bad luck. The trial in your life serves a purpose because it's to develop your maturity. It's to develop. It's to help you grow. It's to help you be the Christian that God wants you to be. And so God begins to test your faith. And so if our goal as Christians is to have, you know, is to be mature Christians who can make the right choices in life, God is saying, okay, you want to be mature, I'm going to test your faith. You're going to go through some trials. You're going to go through certain things. And through that, I'm going to develop you. I don't know if you hear what I'm saying. And so the way God develops maturity is to test your faith. And so the only way you can gain experience is to grow. The only way you can mature as a Christian is to go through trials. The only way you can trust God more is for your faith to be tested. And guess what? God is going to test your faith. Why does God test our faith? Look at verse 3. It produces perseverance. It produces Perseverance. Why do we need perseverance? You might be asking. Because perseverance is the key to maturity. The more trials you go through, the more perseverance you have. The more trials you go through, the more you grow. The more trials you go through, the more you mature. But the goal is to persevere. If you want to be mature, the goal is for you to persevere. That the very thing you're going through, you know what? I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to cry or I'm not going to complain, but I'm going to persevere because I know what God is doing in my life. I'm going to continue to persevere because my goal is to be a mature Christian. 
So we have to persevere despite how hard the trial is. Despite how tough it gets, we have to persevere because persevere is the key to maturity. And so what I've noticed the problem is, is that we all give up. How many of you have found yourself in a trial and you just want to give up? You find yourself in a problem and you just want to throw in the towel. And you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through. And you're confused. And you're not sure why this is happening. And it's really tough because your family now is hit by it. Your personal life is hit by it. And so you start to have anxiety and you start to have depression. You start to go through all these things and you don't know what to do. And you feel like God is mad at you and that you deserve this. And and, and James is saying you want to be mature. This is the thing that you have to go through. You have to persevere through it. Problem is we can't persevere because we give up too much. Persevere means to not give up. It means to continue. It means to finish the race. Don't throw in the towel. Jesus is saying, I need you to persevere because what God is doing in your life is to benefit you. It's to help you. You're too busy seeing it as a negative thing, but God is seeing it as something that he wants to develop you, something that he wants to change in you, something that he wants to use to mold you, to mature you. And we don't understand that. So that's why it's hard to have joy. Jesus is saying, consider to have joy, my brothers and sisters. Well, James, you don't know what I'm going through. If you only knew what my family is going through, James, if you only knew how much money I have in the bank account, James, if you only knew my problem, if you only knew my past, if you only knew what I'm currently going through right now, James, you wouldn't be saying that. How do you want me to have joy, James? It makes no sense. I can't have joy in my trial. I can't have joy in my problem. How do you want me to have joy, James? And people won't understand that. When they read this verse, consider having joy, brothers and sisters, for the many trials you'll face, they won't understand what James is saying. Because one can't have joy in the trial. And what James is saying is this. So I need you to change your perspective. Listen to me. This is, this is important. I want you to understand this. I need you to change your perspective. I need you to change the way you think, your point of view. He said, I don't want you to have joy in the trial. I want you to have joy because of the trial. It's a big difference. I don't want, to, I don't want you to have joy in the trial that you're going through right now. I want you to have joy because of the trial. And people won't understand that whatsoever. So that's why they cry and they complain and they throw in the towel and they don't persevere and they give up. They don't finish the race and they're always complaining to God and they're blaming God. God, why am I going through this? Why, why do you allow this to happen to my life? They don't understand how to have joy because of the trial. And so they look at your problem and they don't understand how you have joy. How can you have joy? How are you so calm? How is this not moving you? How is this not bothering you? How are you okay with what you're going through right now? Your family is falling apart. Your marriage is in a wreck. How are you okay with this? It's because you understand that God is using the very trial in your life to develop you, to change you, to mold you. 
that God is using this trial not to punish you, but to develop you, to help you grow, to help you mature as a Christian. And when you understand that, that's how you learn to have joy because of the trial. And so what James is saying, the trial in itself is no fun. The problem in itself doesn't really bring joy. But because I know that God is using this very thing that seems like a negative thing, I'm choosing to have joy because I know God is using it to help me to develop me, to test my faith, to see where I'm at. He's using this thing to benefit me. It's for me. When you understand that, then you see joy right through the trial and from a different perspective. I don't know if you understand that. (laughs) The second thing that I see is that wisdom results from prayer. Wisdom results from prayer. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. The message version says, if you don't know what you're doing, Pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended uh, to, to, to you whenever you ask for it. I love that. If you don't know, how many people don't know what they're doing sometimes? James is saying, pray to the Father. If you don't know what you're doing right now. If you lack wisdom in your trial, if you, wanna, if you don't know what, what, God, what God wants you to do, he's saying, pray to him. Ask him. Perseverance comes from trials. Wisdom comes from prayer. Did you know that God wants to help you? He loves to help you. He loves to show up in your circumstance. He loves to show up in your problem. He loves to show up in your trial. He's a God who wants to help you every step of the way. He's not going to leave you to the side. He's not going to abandon you. He's not one who sees your faults or your mistakes. He literally wants to help you, but he requires one thing. I need you to ask. Well, he requires two things, but we'll get that to the second point. The first thing he requires is I need you to ask. I need you to be courageous. Verse 5 says that he's a God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And I think that's beautiful because what James is pretty much saying is that we can be confident knowing that we can always go to God. And he won't judge us. He won't give us a bad look. He won't bring up our past. Can you imagine if God did that? God, I need help. What what do I do? Here we go again. I thought we'd been through this already. He rolls his eyes at you. 
I thought we talked about this. What's wrong with you? Why do you keep on coming to me with the same problem? Why do you keep coming to me with the same questions? God, I don't know what to do. I told you what to do already. What do you, why do I have to keep on talking? I can't, I can't deal with this guy. Can you imagine if God was like that? He's not. Thank God that he's not like that. He's one who loves you, one who wants to help you, one who wants to give you the right wisdom to make the right choices in life. He wants to develop you, but he, uh, he requires you to ask him. You have to go to him. You have to pray to him. You have to seek him. One of the things that we do is that we seek our parents. We seek our best friend. We tell them their, we tell them our problems and we expect, you know, good advice. We tell our co-workers, we tell our spouses, and we tell, you know, even our pastors and our leaders. We tell all these other people, the one people, the one person we should go to is the one person we don't. We can tell all these other people, you know, our problems and our situations and what we're going through. But the one person who wants to help you, the one person who wants to give you the right advice, the one person who really wants to give you the right choices to make is the one person you don't go to. And I feel like that's a problem because we can go to anyone else, but we'll never go to God. And he's saying, James is saying, if you lack faith, Don't go to your best friend. Don't go to your parents. There's nothing wrong with that. He's saying go to God. Ask God. And I'm not saying, listen, don't, don't, don't confuse my words and twist my words. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to those people. What I'm saying is, is that they're not going to give you the wisdom that God will give you. If you want true wisdom, you're not going to find it in social media. You're not going to find it within our culture. You're not going to find it in books. You're going to find it from God. But you have to ask him. You have to ask him. You have to seek him. You have to pray to him. You have to ask. You know what I love about the homeless people? And that. I have a heart for the homeless people. Whenever I have money, I always love to give. Whether they have, you know, they're asking for the right intentions or the wrong intentions. I always love to, and I don't really have, you know, cash with me all the time. But when I do, I always give to them. But the one thing about homeless people is that they're not scared to ask. And so you'll always see that they'll go to your window, huh? And they'll ask. They'll ask. They'll ask, and next week, they'll ask again. And the following week, they'll ask again. They'll ask. And it's the same thing with God. You shouldn't be scared to go to God. Don't allow your pride to get in the way. Don't allow your shamefulness to, to, to not allow you to, to pray to God. Don't allow your guiltiness to rob you of this opportunity that, you know, that you can pray to God. You, sh you should be able to ask him, pray to him so that he can give you the right wisdom. But wisdom results from prayer, from asking him. 
And so I wonder how many people really need to ask God. I wonder how many people need to stop going to other people and start going to God. The last thing that I see is that prayer requires faith. Prayer requires faith. And I'll finish with this. Look at verse 6. When you ask, you must what? No, I don't hear you. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. When you ask, here's the second part. James is saying not only should you ask, but you need to believe in what you're asking. You have to have faith in what you're saying. You have to believe in the prayer that you're praying to God. It's not just about asking. It's about asking and believing. It's about praying and having faith. They go together. And so James is saying, when you pray, don't just pray. Because they'll just be words. I need you to pray and believe. Praying with faith. It's kind of like driving a car. Everyone has a car, right? For the most part. And in order for a car to work, right, it needs the body and it needs the wheels. Without the body, you can't just drive with wheels, right? Without the wheels, the car doesn't function. And so praying with faith is similar. The body represent, represents prayer and the wheels represent faith. When you pray just without believing, just without faith, you're just driving a car with the body. But when you're praying with faith, you're actually driving the car and you're moving. They complement each other. They go together. You can't drive a car without wheels. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. And everybody knows how you need a car here in Houston, right? We all need a car, but there's some people who are driving with no wheels. There are some people who are just praying without no faith. They don't believe in the very thing that they're praying for. And they're just praying to God and praying to God and wondering why God doesn't answer their prayers. And James is saying, I need you to pray with faith. I need you to believe in what you're saying. Look at Matthew 21, verse 22. If you believe, <laughs> if you believe, you will receive. I'm going to make that into a shirt. If you believe, you'll receive. If you believe, you'll receive, right? 
Whatever you ask for in prayer, the key, the key word in that verse is, is, is believe. If you believe in what you're asking, you'll receive with what you're asking. If you have faith, God will answer your prayer. You're, if you're praying for wisdom and you believe that God is going to give you wisdom in the trial, then he'll most definitely give you wisdom. But you have to believe. You have to have faith in what you're saying. Problem is, is that even when we believe, we doubt. And James compares these doubters to waves. Have you ever seen waves before? And you see how they move back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And doubters are just like waves. They never settle. One day they believe. The next day they doubt. And they're always going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. They doubt whether God will show up or not. They doubt whether God will answer their prayers or not. They doubt whether God is capable of giving them wisdom or not. They doubt whether God will hear their prayers or not. And doubt ends up robbing their blessing. Look at verse 7. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. James is saying if you doubt when you pray, don't expect to receive anything from God. It's either you're two feet in, it's either you have faith or you don't. It's either you believe in me or you don't. It's either you trust that I will show up in your trial, that I will show up in your circumstance, that I will give you the wisdom that you need through what you're going through. It's either you believe or you don't, but you can't have one foot in and one foot out. It doesn't work like that. You believe with two feet or you don't with two feet. And James is saying a lot of people here are doubting. They doubt whether I'll answer their prayer. They'll doubt and they'll doubt and they'll doubt. And they're just like waves going back and forth, undecided. They can never settle. They never move. It's either be believe or you don't. I wonder how many people are dealing with this in their life. I wonder how many people have been doubting God. I wonder how many people have been robbed of their blessing all because of doubt. All because they doubt whether God will show up or not. They believe in God. They just don't think he'll show up, which makes no sense to me. I wonder how many people are dealing with this. And James is saying, I need you to believe. Don't doubt anymore. We don't serve a God who doubts. Why should we doubt? We serve a God who's real, a God who wants to show up and help you, a God who loves you, a God who's going to use the very trial in your life to benefit you, to develop you, a God who wants to help you. He loves you. 
And so he's saying, don't doubt. Don't doubt. Believe and have faith in what you're praying for. Because God wants to give you the wisdom. Allow God to give you the wisdom in your marriage. Allow God to give you the wisdom in your finances. Allow God to give you the wisdom in your personal life. Through your trial right now, allow God to give you the wisdom that you need. But you have to believe. You have to have faith. And you ask him. Thank you, Father. Why don't you get up on your feet with me?